0: If you're like me and many other folks in communities of color, our conversations don't happen single issue by single issue. We couldn't decide on a single topic. So with a time limit in place, we'll pick through our grab bag of current events and get through as many as we can. This is Counter Stories, a podcast by people of color, for people of color, and everyone else. I'm Anthony Galloway, senior partner at Dendros Group and executive director of Arts Us.
1: I'm Luz Maria Frias, Deputy Attorney General with the State of Minnesota. Any comments and opinions I share today and every podcast are solely my own should not be attributed to my employer.
2: I'm Don Eubanks, Associate at Denver's Group and Cultural Consultant.
3: And I'm Halit Lee, owner of the Other Media Group and producer
0: of Counter Stories. So oftentimes what happens in communities of color in particular, but particularly for the Counter Stories crew, is so much happens all at the same time that we have to just talk about it. So this is going to be a grab bag episode. What that means is we are going to be bouncing between many things that are happening right now in many of our communities. Now, first, so I'm just going to be throwing these out to, 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 to folks, and so I'm hoping, um, I'm hoping that you're, I'm thanking you all in advance for your trust <laughs> as we shepherd through this to, to talk about many of the things that are coming up. Uh, the first thing that's top of mind that comes out to me, it's Asian American History Month. And so there's a lot of things that are happening right now, particularly at this time when there are statements going out about anti-Asian hate um, and, and, and dealing with those. And so um, one of the first things that is coming out is some work that's happening in Congress, and the congressional level. Now, Lee, you brought this to our attention. Um, so I'm going to toss it over to you.
3: Yeah, so the House passed an anti Asian hate crime bill. um, And it's something that the Senate had approved already. The only, there were 62 no's, and those were all from Republican lawmakers. Um, And so now it's going over to Biden. But really, what does it do? It's kind of one of those, it's a gesture um, because it really just says, like, let's not, you know, put up with it. Let's find better language to describe um coronavirus and it's like well that language came from the previous administration uh so now you know it it just it seems weird um and i guess it's like it's a win but really what what does it change Mm -hmm. does it change anything in reality
0: I, i was curious about the passage of legislation because i mean I, I understand the, the the symbolic act and the ne- necessity to, to keep our public zeitgeist, um, you know, resisting or, or being clear about what we won't accept as a society. Um, but aren't, what does, what do you know at all about what the legislation outlined that's different from what's already protected in our other civil rights legislation and things like that? Like
3: So um, according to NBC News, uh, the bill would direct the attorney general and the Department of Human uh, Health and Human Services to issue best practice guidelines okay. on how to mitigate racially discriminatory language when describing the pandemic. And okay. it also just it says you know the legislation will expediate the review of COVID-related hate crimes.
0: Uh huh. So so there is there is a pandemic connection to yes um to this of course which is spurred on by language um that people have been bouncing around in terms of of connections to the pandemic um from, uh, Asian be, from Asian Americans. The
3: ridiculous thing is, it really is, you know, kind of a show thing, right? To say, hey, we care about this issue, but there are still 62 people who voted no.
1: Does it have enhanced penalties or does it speak to having enhanced penalties or prosecutions or resources mm-hmm. for prosecutions? I mean, those are. You know, to your point, if if it's hollow, right, these are some of the questions that would tell us how hollow it is. Because if we don't if we don't see any resources being dedicated, then uh, it ends up being ineffective because how do you carry this out? I mean, one of the the primary reasons slash excuses given by leaders, whether within government or the private sector is where's the money? And so my question is always, you know, follow the money. Where is it? Where is the money in all this? Any money at- attached?
3: No. Not that I know. <laughs> so we have our answer. <laughs> so you know what
2: what strikes me about this is the fact that um that I consider myself pretty astute and pretty aware on top of you know what's happening in our country, and the fact that I hadn't heard that there's debate, then again, I haven't been kind of following what the House and the Senate uh, has been doing, but but still, the fact that this bill has made it through the House on a partisan vote, um, and this is the first time hearing of it, is what um, I think is really depressing to me, because usually there will be some kind of coverage somewhere, I mean, even locally, right? And the fact that I haven't heard anything um, that stands out in the mind, and we're all asking you questions, Haley, because you're the (laughs) only one aware of the bill, it speaks to my point. You know, how did this slide by um, without uh, the rest of us even being aware of it? So
0: Don, it's exactly that point, the fact that you didn't get it because there's so much happening. This is why we're even doing a grab bag episode. So even in the midst of this legislation going through, we also now are reeling again from a string of deaths in our own community. Three three children have been shot over Northside and we just found out at the day of this recording that little Anaya, who was shot, lost her life. She succumbed to her injuries today and it begs the question with so much going on, you know, there's, you know how is it that we, are, as our communities, grieve our internal community strifes and in tra- tragedies. This is this is also on front of mind. So so in terms of your question about you know why we are hearing about that, I could have been scrolling through my feed and looking at different things, but I've been so preoccupied with trying to figure this out, and it makes me wonder for all of us. We've got tragedy upon tragedy that's in front of us. How you know, what are the ways in which we as community have to come together? There are vigils, I know, that happen. There are, are you know, the responses from the different church leaders. But all of us have faced this in communities where across our newsfeed, we've got all these other things to pay attention to on a national level, international level, but then on a local level, we're still having to deal with day-to-day. So I'm just curious, you know, one, you know, where has your mind been in hearing about this this shooting? And then I'm also wondering about, you know, our regular responses to these internal tragedies
2: well this one that one hits so close to them because these you know these children are so young what, what were they nine ten and six and the fact that they were they happened in such quick succession in the past two weeks is um it's traumatic All right? i grew up in north minneapolis i mean i i see i see pictures of these Uh, What were they? Two little girls, two young girls and one young boy. And it takes me back to growing up in North Minneapolis. And, you know, those would have been the kids I would have been growing up with. And so it's traumatic because as a father, I can't imagine. I, I just can't imagine having my child struck by a stray bullet. And what makes that worse is it's probably happened by someone in my community. Mm-hmm. Right? There's sparking
0: and a whole lot of conversation about snitching, about coming forward, about, you know, internalized.
1: That's a point that I was going to raise, Anthony, is, you know, if it's happening within community, right? We don't know yet, but if it is, there's a, it's, it's a strong propensity that it is, then where is the accountability? And we've got then, folks uh, putting out flyers, and I've seen them posted on social media asking for information and people to turn themselves in or, or at least call a hotline to turn other people in, suspects. But I've also seen on um, social media is, is where are the protests, right? Where mm-hmm. don't we care about our children? And why are we not in the streets with uh, on this? And as you said, Anthony, community has different ways of showing what they're going through their trauma right the vigils but who,
2: but who who exactly do you protest i mean in the protests that we've seen we're protesting the system that holds us down that that creates injustice what we're seeing in the community i think is a result of that injustice the result of that failure. trauma That's been inflicted, exactly been inflicted on our community. So what are what exactly are we protesting?
3: Uh, Gun laws. I mean, guns are so easy to get your hands on now. Okay. If there's somebody to protest, I think that's who you would protest. Folks aren't protesting per se anything right now, but they are gathering in the streets to ask that the shooter come forward. And I guess we'll just see if that that
0: really happens. Well, again, but 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 hold on there because you know that's there's there's always a systemic thing to point exactly. to and, and organize around. But I think one of the things that are internally communities asking for, and I think this is shared across our communities, is what is our responsibility to ourselves? Exactly. In in holding ourselves accountable, and again, I don't want to 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 this this is so easily co opted. Um, into something that it's not, Mm. right? This this quote-unquote term black-on-black crime, right? All crime is done predominantly amongst its own communities. We just don't, for some reason, we we use the term black-on-black crime when it's black folks. Everything else um, doesn't have that same moniker. We aren't calling white-on-white crime the white-on-white crime that same way. But I think it raises a very important question about our responsibility to, I think what people are really wanting to see is that the same fervor and energy that masses around systemic injustices to our communities are amassed on on things that happen inside of our communities and one of the things i want to speak to is it is it's just not the same energy
2: exactly, exactly.
1: right right well and to your point with the systemic injustices these are symptoms of what those systemic barriers and injustices are with respect to underinvestment and divestment of our, our black and brown communities with regard to resources for community, with regard to jobs with regard to training. You know, the, the unemployment rate within our young group um, of individuals, black and brown community members is three to four times higher than what the rate is for white folks. Um, so, you know, we've, we've, there's, these are symptoms of, of deeper, deeper ills and problems. Well,
0: I mean, it's it's funny that you bring that up because one of the other things that is in our grab bag to talk about, and again, we're not trying to shortchange any of this. We're trying to just lay out some of the issues that made it hard for us to pick a lane because there's so much going on. And one of the things that we just got is we got new sets of data, jobs around jobs and around the effects of the pandemic. And one of the things that is coming out is, of course, the highlighting of the huge disparity that still exists. Minnesota still ranks at the bottom in terms of disparities across many sectors. We like to battle Mississippi in a lot of these things. And so, you know, as we talk about, you know, the symptoms of what's happening in our communities, we have to then also talk about the fact that our state, right, to borrow from Don, who brought up the Jim Crow of the North um, uh, documentary, right, we are we we the disparities run deep in our in our state so much so that that when you see an increase in the disparity and a decrease in the outcomes for communities you see a rise in the symptoms that go along with that and so uh, you know we have to start also making sure that we are are confronting this huge disparity across different sectors one of the ones of course education but also of course we see it in jobs. We see it in the economy. So I'm just, I'm curious, what are the conversations in your, in our various communities that are calling attention to these disparities that are causing these symptomatic things happening in our community?
2: What's coming up for you on your radars? What I see happening in our community, the American Indian community, is I see a lot of individuals are offering kind of healing type of workshops or, or get togethers. You know, in the American Indian community, it's centered around the creation of language, of teaching the language, teaching the culture. But I think more importantly, it's dealing with that trauma. It's, it's dealing with those historical shortcomings, you know, that historical trauma, and it's healing our community. Um, and so I see a lot of work in our community around those areas. But it's slow, painful work because, you know, what happened in the American Indian community was was successful. The boarding schools, the uh, reduction of our language, the reduction of our of our culture as a result of those boarding schools was very successful. And so across Indian country, it's returning to those things to make that come together. And I think that, you know, it, in terms of responding to that earlier question, why aren't we protesting in North Minneapolis? I think there's I think there's a healing process that, you know, I that needs mm-hmm. to happen in the black community around those same things. And and it but it takes it, it. That's a lot of work, you know, healing across all our communities takes a lot of work, um while the rest of us fight those disparities. Right. I mean, so, so while our communities are healing, we are still fighting those disparities. We're still fighting that system, especially here in Minnesota that, you know, we hear how great it is in Minnesota. Oh, well, with the exception of uh, you know, communities of color, and then they move on. Well, and, one important piece of data to to to
0: clarify those disparities that you're talking about, Don, too. Um, and I think you've you've spoken to this, and Lee, you've spoken to this before too. In those disparity data, we will often see, oh well, Asians are doing just fine, but we have to, when you disaggregate Southeast Asian communities, the numbers look a lot more like the rest of the communities of color. So I just want to make sure to point that clarification out. Right. Well, and within the
1: Latinx community, I mean. We are in just ongoing trauma with respect to hundreds of children still at the border, mm-hmm. the southern border not being reunited or located in terms of families. Uh, we're dealing with ongoing um, unrest in our home countries. I mean, the country of Colombia is having an incredibly violent, violent time right now, uh, as well as Honduras Um in Central America, and we've got you know, ongoing disparity issues with vaccination rates and COVID-19 um, infection rates and deaths uh, in Minnesota and across the country. So we are, I'm sorry, but we are in trauma from all kinds of different ways and issues that are relentless. And, and it's hard to even think about healing when you are in, in this much trauma that's domestic as well as international.
3: And not to mention our, our brothers and sisters from Myanmar, um, as well right. as those from India. Oh, I my mean, God. you know, we are Americans, but we have our home countries and our countries of origin that are going through a really, really hard time and that's hard on us when we talk about you know uh healing
0: you know it, it it gets back to something don said earlier around you know missing the in the in the, in the feed you know missing the legislation around anti-asian hate well it, it's part of what we've talked about often here on counter stories and that is uh the d- the diffuse nature in which there's so many battles on so many fronts and we have these moments of where something really sparks a unified front on a particular issue, you know, it's so much going on that how do you marshal enough understanding and keep all of the, you, there's so many balls in the air to keep, to keep up. The stuff drops off the table. We have to catch up on something when it's, when it's too late. One of the or things we're
3: exhausted from everything else that's happening.
0: <laughs> right. Right. So then when we get into these arguments about what we should know, shouldn't know what we should be rallying around, we shouldn't, this is a complicated thing that needs, that needs nuance. For example, we are coming up on some major anniversaries, all right? Now, remember, this is the grab bag episode, so we're just going to be hitting and punching. We've got some major anniversaries coming up. The anniversary of the assassination of Malcolm X. We're getting more and more interesting stories in this current time around Malcolm X's organizing with Yuri Kushiyama, who had a bond with Malcolm X, um, not just a Black thing. An Asian-American's bond with Malcolm X is something that's coming out um and she spoke at anti-war demonstrations in New York um, and did some amazing work um collaborating with with one of our leaders who was taken from us and so that anniversary is coming up the anniversary of Tulsa the first time that a, a, an American city was firebombed and it was firebombed by its own white citizens mm-hmm. on on a black thriving black town that interrupted the the black wall street um that was being built in Tulsa two days Tulsa and Greenwood were terrorized
1: you know the Malcolm X Portion there at the anniversary, Anthony. What I want to just invite our listeners to spend some time learning more about who Malcolm X really is because we have been given a narrative by mainstream media about who Malcolm X was when we know he was a you know, he was a different person uh, than what has been portrayed by the mainstream media leading up to his death and afterwards. And the fact that he was targeted by the government because they were afraid of his Black empowerment stance, the elected officials or combination thereof, you know, they saw Dr. Martin Luther King as someone who they could, quote unquote, control and influence. And still he was assassinated. Um, I want to just invite folks to challenge themselves to unlearn some of those mainstream type of framing of who Malcolm X was and could speak to it. Can
2: we add to that list? And, and, you know, so it's not just Malcolm X, but take any leader from any one of our communities Mm -hmm. and add them to the list because the dominant culture has done that to all the leaders of our people who stood up for uh, themselves and their people and for who they were. And so you can, you know, you can add to Malcolm X, you can add uh, MLK, any black leader going back to ad infinitum. You can you can put Chief Joseph, you can put Sitting Bull, you can put Crazy Horse, you can put Geronimo. I mean, you from all our communities. They well, and the Black Panthers the same thing exactly the Black i mean, Panthers. They, did, they did it to the Black Panthers and it it's a it's any time any of us stand up for our right to be American and or just our right to be ourselves especially as a indigenous native american our right to be ourselves in our own land um it was met with us being put on reservations and almost exterminated so not just Malcolm I mean mm-hmm. because Malcolm X was one powerful individual much like uh you know I'm surprised that Muhammad Ali and you know his whole history cuz they were uh they hated Muhammad Ali. Yeah. And he laughed all the way to the bank, right? <laughs>
0: well, and and then and then the the ripping out of his career in his prime. Exactly. But what there's a unifying piece to all of this and that is compliance culture.
2: Exactly. These folks,
0: we venerate because they moved our country forward by failing to comply with the things that are not working, right? And saying that you do not have to comply with something that harms you. One of the things that makes this complicated, from all of the themes that we've talked about so far in the grab bag, you know, especially especially the internalized trauma of the deaths of these children, even the ability to grieve that moment and to process and deal with the healing that's required for that, also has to be done while contending with, well, see, they're killing themselves or, or, you know, this, this internalized impression Olympics that can come. And so there's just, you're always stuck in this space of never being able to fully ground and and sit in and heal.
2: You know, Anthony, those same tactics were used against the Chinese and the Asian population. They were used against American Indians Mm -hmm. and in our population and they were used against uh, Mexicans and the Latin Latinx population. Those very same tactics have been used against each one of our groups at a different time in history.
1: Well, and they continue to be used.
2: Entire, entire communities in, in California, from the gold rush on, they wiped out the entire Mexican communities in many places in, in uh, California they they almost exterminated the American Indians. I, I, we were down to the last, you know, last indigenous guy of his tribe. I think in the early 1900s, um, and they did the same thing to the Chinese and the other Asian populations during that same time period in in California. And it it uh, so these experiences have happened across the board to all our communities. And yet the average American is not aware of any of those.
3: And if anything Don said has surprised you, please look it
1: up.
2: (laughs) Right. There's the Google. Google's a powerful tool, right?
1: The lynchings of Mexicans at the border. Right. You know, I mean, so many people have zero idea of the hundreds of lynchings of Mexicans at the U.S. side Mm -hmm. of the country. Along the southern border, we were being lynched. At the same time that blacks were being lynched mm-hmm. for the exactly similar reasons.
0: And, and I want to call out that we were also one of the other anniversaries that we're, we're passing through is the anniversary of the school walkouts in, in, in L.A. Uh, where bilingual education was being done. Ch- uh, Chicano students were, were, were succeeding at that rate. And then school boards were implementing English only policies that would have interrupted that progress for no daggone reason other than a supremacy. And so uh, we, you know, the walkouts began in March, but they continued throughout um, in many different ways and and, and forms. And again, that's a similar method of trying Mm -hmm. to erase or codify, or if we want to just want to use it straight out of forcing people of color to comply with the dominant culture that does not work for them.
1: It is colonizing our minds, our language Mm -hmm. and our culture. I mean, that's kind of (laughs) in a nutshell, if you will.
2: That is such a great word because mm. when you talk about current events, you know, the other thing that has been slapping us all on the nightly news is this uh, increasing violence between the Palestinians and the Israelis. Yep. There's been a call for President Biden in the United States to jump in and to play a larger role in in, in uh, diffusing that. It's that dynamic that the United States is seen as this country to intervene in what is usually framed in these human rights disputes between the Palestinians and the Israelis. Um, When we just spent the past half hour talking about how how this country treats us here day in and day out. And yet they're looked at these human rights champions in other countries and they mistreat us here back home. And when I look at that situation with with the Israelis and the Palestinians and, you know, the decisions that were made to allow the Israelis to to settle in, 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 in Israel, and I hope we don't get a lot of hate mail around this, but and where it's progressed to now reminds me a whole heck of a lot of when uh, the Europeans came over here to America and settled here. And the result was that we as American Indians were being either systematically eliminated or down to a point where they took our land, much like they did with the Palestinians, and then put us on reservations where we remain to this day. And, to me, the relationship or the the uh, the similarities to me are very striking. So have what you I seen see happen-
3: have you seen the meme, Don, of a, an indigenous woman, and it says, "So you're telling me you believe <laughs> Hebrews are entitled so, to the land of Israel because their ancestors wants to live there?"
2: Exactly. <laughs> The The irony of
1: that. I don't know if you folks saw a a map that was being circulated also. So I'm looking at it right now. It is the Palestinian loss of land from 1947 to the present. So 1947, Palestine with very small uh, segments or dots that are white to represent Israel uh, the Jewish sentiments, right, and then you yeah. go on to the partition plan of 1947, and mm-hmm. led
0: by the British, it was the British's attempt to try to try to pull out and create a two-state space, right? Yeah,
1: and so then at the partition plan as proposed, you could see basically half of Palestine becomes then Israel, uh, Israeli land. And then from 1949 to 1967, three-fourths of that same land becomes Israeli land, and then we, we go into the present where 90% of it is belonging to uh, Israel and, uh, and its, its occupied land. I offer that up as a perspective. Um, I've got uh, a good friend, a couple friends who are Palestinian, uh, born and raised in Palestine, living here now in the U.S. And it, it's just been heart wrenching to see this through their eyes, of course, and be concerned about their families back home in Palestine. What's left of Palestine, I should say. And you, you this is yet another invitation to all of us to revisit what we know about the conflict dating back to 1947 and to really challenge ourselves to see this through a lens that is not one that was created by the U.S. narrative, because I think that really is key. The U.S. has a knack (laughs) for rewriting history in a way that favors the U.S., to the exclusion and detriment of others.
0: Well, I, I think, Luce, that's, that, that's such an important point. And this is, goes for all the history that we put forward in this whole entire grab bag, right? We, we need you to, we need folks to go on and dig into the nuance that, 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 that exists between, the complication that exists in, in the midst of all of these stories. And and on the Israel-Palestine issue, one of the things that, Luce, the way that I've experienced what you just said is a story that says, Israel tried to do something to reclaim its homeland and its identity, and then was faced with opposition by um by groups that are deemed terrorist organizations. That is a completely oversimplification of what's of, of what's happening, and it's not an accurate representation of what's going on. The deaths at uh, uh, amongst Palestinians, in particular Palestinian civilians is extremely uncomparable to the deaths on the Israeli side. And if we at the United States, who keep trying to be arbiters of "quote unquote" peace, we keep entering in this with this imbalanced narrative, as you said, Luz. And it is, and and, and it, and it requires us; it needs us to look at this uh, with all the nuance that it requires.
2: People are currently experiencing how certain representatives from uh, one of the parties is currently active trying to create a new narrative around the insurrection on January 6th and that we are we are witness to how they are trying to change history through the narrative mm-hmm. And it fits mm-hmm. right in with what you just were saying and and I think it gives everyone an opportunity to see that. Because when I look at the Palestinians, I just have to look at our experience here in the United States. And when Luz was describing that map, we have the same interactive map that showed Indian country down to what we're left now with these tiny little specks across the United States mm-hmm. where we're located on our reservations. The exact same thing. And when I look at myself in the mirror, I look like a damn Palestinian. I mean, I there's that shared experience that That so many of us can feel with others in the the world that are unfortunately going through this
0: and and so you know again, through through all of this, you just you have just added a level of nuance that is that needs to be on our minds when we have these conversations. When we lose nuance, it is far too easy for bogus narratives to hijack what's going on. We spend mm. and we also spend time talking about things you know, you know other things that are happening and we miss, again, just like we missed the legislation for um, anti-Asian hate, we also um, are taking our attention off of the fact that that the commission to even investigate what happened on January 6th is facing some interesting opposition. And that's the last uh, piece of the grab bag that I wanted to put onto yeah. your table is the predictable patterns of opposition. When Brown versus the Board of Education passed in 1954 there was amazing backlash to those legislative advances. When uh, folks are protesting in the streets over systemic injustices, whatever wins may have happened, they were always met with a predictable resistance in narrative battle. One that I've seen is is people are starting to throw around critical race theory as this thing to oppose. Beware this thing called critical race theory, which is just a, a, a critique of racialized systems in the United States. Founded by lawyers, right, Luce?
1: Well, yes, we know that when these um, dog whistle terms are thrown out, that people who are of the same ilk and mindset are unlikely to look it up. So Mm -hmm. the fact that the critical race theory is being thrown about like these firebombs, for lack of a better word, is enough for a whole segment of our society, right? They're Mm -hmm. they're not going to look into it. They're not going to learn about it, the fact that it is being thrown out is sufficient by some segment of our community that that's enough for them to then bristle about it and automatically just take it as something that is bad.
3: And the same with ethnic studies.
0: Mm, That's right. That's right. Even though we have the data that shows that all kids, every kid of every background, not only benefits, but they see their academic engagement go up. When they engage in ethnic studies programs, we saw this, and we saw this in ethnic studies
2: programs in Arizona. Can I ask a question? How is it that critical race theory and ethnic studies, which is nothing but adding in the missing parts of American history, can fall into these different categories and then be picked off? Because ethnic studies is nothing more than interjecting the history of our background, of what happened to us, and who we are in conjunction to the American story that we hear all the time or we see portrayed in the movies. And so, you know, and same with critical race theory. I mean, I think law is based in history, isn't it, Luz? And so, <laughs> uh, we'll
1: have I mean, to do yeah. a segment on that one, my friend. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> but that, that's
0: here, So here's my thought. I'm going to go ahead and put a belief out there. I don't usually do this. Yes, I do. I'm lying. So I'm going to put this out there. Um, I think that when presented with the option, and this is what I go into into to you know Reverend D McIntosh, who was the first to teach me about this and tell me about this, it's a term called ontological shame, and I won't go deep into the heady portions of that. But all I'll say is that when we have sh- when we when we experience shame, even as kids, there are two things that we do. Our brain, you know, registers it first and foremost. There's a pain response physiologically. And so I can either do the hard work of confronting that shame, working through it, dealing with it, and using it to inform a better, to a better place, or I can create a reality where I don't feel that shame at all. I can deflect. I can figure out a whole new way, Mm -hmm. a new thing to do or think about that doesn't, that creates an avenue for me not to have to deal with what's in front of me. I see these bans that are going on critical race theory and ethnic studies that are being put forward by school districts and legislatures and things like that as a full-on distraction from a question that is being called right now in our society that's too pointed and forces folks to have to deal with the reality. What's easier? To do the hard work of addressing and owning um, that I am benefiting from years of this of these injustices and doing all that work because if one thing is true that means all these other things are true or can I go over here and say, well, I'm going to point and pick off this thing over here and not get into any of the nuance so that the argument can hold. Cause the argument doesn't hold if we actually like discuss it or think about it. And all of the topics that we've had around, there's this looming thing that's been running through is that all of them force us to actually have to deal with our collective issues. And what's easier to deal with the collective issues in front of us or to make up a new bad guy or make up a new, a new thing to be mad about. Mm-hmm.
1: Well, we, to your point, Anthony, our country has spent the better of of a year talking about and elevating the issue of systemic racism. And there are certain policymakers around our country who do not want any part of that for themselves, their constituents, quite honestly, for our country. The scapegoat is critical race theory. Critical race theory is bad. It is a pattern that we've seen over and over again by certain leaders in our country where they want to deflect and pivot and distract us to something else so that we don't focus on the real issue at hand and the solutions that should be coming as a result of that. Right. So you've got at least some corporations, some Elected leaders willing to begin to roll up their sleeves to the extent possible to go down this this path. But there's a segment of our elected leaders who are like, no, we don't want this. And instead, we're going to put out this this distraction out there and these falsities about what critical race theory actually is.
3: Another plug for voting (laughs) 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 <laughs> <laughs>
1: just, but,
3: just throwing that
0: in there. But I think a, a news conference that happened in the wake of our current unrest also spoke to some of this, one of these issues. And that is there's there's the folks who are refusing to deal with it or to deflect. But there's also elected leaders who will say just enough to perform as if they are interested in these topics and just enough for things to quiet down. So again, I have to come back and say very pointedly mm-hmm. that when Communities of color have been bringing forward issues. We have had a healthy critique of our entire system. When it comes to communities of colors and the the patterns that we have seen historically, there have been healthy critiques of all political leadership and the ways that they show up, whether it's been folks who have talked a good talk, but done it performatively and no action has happened, or folks who have vehemently come out against the interests of communities of color. There's critiques for all of those things. When we lose the nuance for all the topics we lose our ability to adequately critique and make better this project that we are
1: involved in. This project called life.
0: (laughs) In the United States in particular. I I hope you all have enjoyed this grab bag. bag. It's really a chance for us to surface all the things that are just happening. And hopefully you can use them Google fingers, Google buttons, (laughs) you know, I'm not just endorsing Google, whatever search engine you want to use. But go do the research and look at the nuance because there is so much more that is in the mix of all of these. And when we oversimplify, we actually ill-equip ourselves to make the positive changes and and long-lasting changes that we need to make.
1: And we're called counter stories for a reason, (laughs) 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 which is we don't limit ourselves to the mainstream story, challenging ourselves and our listeners to think about the counter story that really is there, that is not being spoken of, that is not being shared. That is not being elevated to the same media exposure as all the other narratives that are out there.
0: You said it Luz. Well, we look. We touched on a whole lot of topics today, and so I appreciate um, appreciate you all. You know, just being willing to do that. And this is how we do when we get together and we connect. There's, it's it's never. It's not single topic to single topic. It's all things are happening at the same time. And how do we continue to work through that together? This has been another episode of Counter Stories. I'm Anthony Galloway, senior partner at Dendros Group and executive director of Arts Us.
1: I'm Luz Maria Frias, deputy attorney general with the state of Minnesota. Any opinions and viewpoints I've shared today and the other podcasts are limited to myself and should not be impugned to my employer.
2: I'm Don Eubanks, associate at Dendros Group and cultural consultant.
1: I'm Heli
3: Lee, owner of the other media group and
0: producer of Counter Stories. Thank you for listening. This has been Counter Stories. Of course, we can't forget the anniversary of the murder of George Floyd. This is a topic I'll be diving into on my other show, Bearing Witness with Anthony and Georgia, also produced by our very own Lee Lee. Find that and more coverage of the anniversary at racialreckoningmn.org. This program is a co-production of the Counter Stories Crew, the Other Media Group, and Ampers, diverse radio for Minnesota's communities, with support from the Minnesota Arts and Cultural Heritage Fund.